we are going to spend time talking about Christmas things. And I love that. Uh, we're going to look at a section of Scripture which happens to be about shepherds. Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter 2, if you head toward verse number 8 this morning, please. If you see me swinging my arms and things, it's not something happening up here, um, other than I've got a fly that's annoying me, and it keeps coming buzzing around and heading toward my face and everything, so it, it's not gestures in my uh, animated preaching, but uh, it's fly killing. Uh, Luke chapter 2, start in verse 8, I'm going to read through this. I want, as we go all the way down to verse number 20... I want to focus especially on verse 15. All right? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found Mary and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which they had been told about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary pondered all these things, treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. I want to give my sermon series for the next four weeks the terms the shepherd's resolve. The shepherd's resolve. It's based around verse 15, and it's just simply, look what the Lord has done. Look what He has done. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into the passage. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this time of year. There's beautiful songs, beautiful decorations, uh, beautiful uh, desires within our hearts to be cheerful, to be giving, to be uh, family-oriented or friend-oriented or certainly looking for peace and uh, joy and sharing that with others. There's a lot of food that we prepare during this time of the month, too. But, Lord, it's all about Jesus Christ, and that's why we celebrate. And I thank you, Lord, for making him known to us, giving us the joy and the privilege of knowing him and uh, having this opportunity to worship Him together. As we have this month set before us, I pray that You set our hearts to worship as we ought to. 
help us to glean from these passages that we study today to know more and more about how magnificent this great news is about our Savior, that we might serve you better, Lord Jesus. And thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen. There are four things that I I note in this uh, section that we saw. Most of it's in verse 15. A little follows in verses to follow there. But uh, they were resolved to go. They were resolved to see. They were resolved to tell. And they were resolved to praise. Those are the four sermon titles that will come in the next couple weeks today. Resolved to go. And I've chosen that word, resolve, on purpose. It expresses a determination, a decision, even a commitment. Uh, The dictionary on Google, which we all know to be what it needs to be, says it is a firm determination to do something. To do something. Those are useful words to a pastor, especially when he seeks a response to what he has shared in the sermon. The word resolve is a great word to follow with that. It's a wonderful reaction to an invitation. As you know, I love the Christmas season. So one time of year where my habit of playing Christmas music in the office is considered normal. The rest of the time I get funny looks. But of all the angles that I have had the joy of preaching on in the Christmas season from God's Word, I've always enjoyed the shepherd story the best. I seem to come back to that. I've been doing Christmas sermons for 31 years, and they're not just on that day. They're usually the whole month long. So I've had this uh, joy of sharing for uh, a lot of Christmas messages. Large variety of them. In the Old Testament, we've gone into Isaiah 14, or 714. We've gone into Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Um, I've worked on Isaiah 9 verse 6 as a series once. There are themes of peace on earth, and that's a whole series all by itself. Or good news of great joy. I remember in one church, there was a big banner written up above the pulpit. Good news of great joy. And we focused on that for the entire month. We spent time in the story of Simeon, or Anna. Talked about Joseph in a whole sermon series, just Joseph. Another on just Mary. Uh, One just on Mary's Magnificat as they call it, uh, in her response of praise. I've had sermon series on the wise men, on the angels, on the star of Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, uh, the innkeepers in Bethlehem, Herod the Great. That's not a super sermon to listen to anyway. I've never done one on the donkeys, though, I have to confess, uh, or any of the animals in the manger scene. I haven't done that, but I probably won't. Uh, I just keep coming back to the shepherds, I guess. I like to address them. They were simple people. They were simple people. We'd call them blue-collar workers. They weren't in the aristocrat department. They weren't uh, administrators, and they weren't uh, leaders in a lot of things. They were shepherds. But somehow that gives us a lot of applicational responses to the Christmas message. That's what I like about it. It's just how simple it is of going, seeing, telling, and praising 
that we see the response to what they've heard. So each word, as you have seen, I've added the word resolve in front of it. A resolve to go. I hope that's okay with you. If you prefer something else, that's too bad. I'm still resolved to keep it. All right? And you may think, well, why, why did you choose that word? I, I'll give you a couple of background things, and then I'll go into it, and I'll tell you why. Some think when I use the word resolve, I'm talking about some sort of a free will that the shepherds had of uh, their choice to go and do this. Uh, personally, I don't believe in the word free. I believe in the word will. I've seen it. It's inside here. But it's never been something I considered free. And the Bible never says it was free in the first place. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say about the will, by the way. And you will find that he had a good grip on theology, I think. And practicality of that theology. Not to mention the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said in Romans 7:14 through 21, I'll read it to you. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. I'm sold into bondage to slave. For what I am doing, I do not understand. He says, I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now that was really uplifting, wasn't it? You read that and say, this is the Apostle Paul, what chance do we have? Well, he added in Galatians 5 this phrase, in Galatians 5.17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That doesn't sound like a free will, does it? It sounds like a will, but there's nothing free in that. The simple principle is is like this. Prior to knowing Christ as your Savior, your will was controlled by the flesh. After coming to know Christ as Savior, your will is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to be that way. But what that says to me, it's neither free for the unsaved or free for the saved. We have wills, but they're being driven. They're being driven by other forces, other things. And it's rather useless for the unsaved to try to satisfy God with a will. It doesn't work. It's not free. I'm just telling you all that because in Romans 8, it also says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so even if it wanted to, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So, okay, what what do you do with all this, Pastor? Well, I like the fact that the Holy Spirit's in us as believers in Christ. You know what He's doing? He's working on us. 
constant construction is going on inside of us that we are saved. It is God who is at work in you. Watch this. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, I find in any case I want to walk down with you just for a minute, it hasn't given me a great deal of enjoyment to talk about a free will, because I don't see that it works that way for me. It fights against the Lord. A will of the flesh fights against the Lord. And unfortunately, it does that even after salvation. It still fights. But I want you to know this for sure. I'm just going to lay it out just as it is. You're never saved by your will. You're only saved by Jesus Christ. All right? As we walk through this, I use the word resolve. And I just wanted to let you know why I choose that word. And it's not some sort of theological thing to suggest that the shepherds were saved by their resolve to go. It is a response. But salvation is only accomplished by a Savior. Not by a desire to go. Not by a desire to go. Our actions don't save us. Christ saves us. And what we're going to see here, even in my choice of the words, is that the shepherds were determined to react to what the angel's message was. And the very fact that they said, let us go. As you saw it in verse 15, right? Let us go. It makes their story really quite unique in the whole Christmas pageant before us in Scripture because Herod did not go when he heard. The scribes did not go when they heard. The religious leaders did not go when they heard. And they were only six miles away. They had heard that the king was born. And did they go? No. No. They didn't have the resolve to go. And yet we read of these shepherds and how unique they are. In verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then. That's a great start. Let us go. Let us go. Okay, this little word, go, as you know, I like to pull up little Greek words and things like that and work with them. Uh, erkomai is the word, which my Greek students up front here panic when they hear that word, erkomai. Erkomai is an interesting word. It means come and it means go. Isn't that useful? Every time you use it, you've got to look at the context and know, are they coming or are they going? Because it could be on both sides of that. But what's also interesting about this bizarre Bizarre. I call it bizarre little word. If you're used to foreign languages and things of that nature, when you're working with different tenses that could take on different looks and the ending letters here and there, they change and stuff. Spanish does that and Greek especially does that. What's interesting about this little word, erkomai, is that every time it changes its tense, it changes almost every letter on the, on the word. And then it changes to what we call its voice, and it changes all its letters again. And then it changes on its mood, and it's always changing. And so when you're looking at it in a Greek translation, you have no idea what that word is when it comes on the page. It doesn't look anything like it's the original word. And you say, well, what do you do with that? Well, I have a simple rule. 
Anytime you're going through the New Testament translating, you come across a word you don't know, guess that it's Erkomai, and you're probably right. That's how it comes out. It's just so bizarre of a word. And it's so easy in concept, but so hard to trace. What's it mean? Come or go? What's it mean? Come or go? And then, to make it more complicated, Dr. Luke, as he's writing this translation out for us so that we can read it, he uses a preposition in front of it called dia. Dia erkomai is the word. Dia is our word we're used to. Diameter, in other words, come from dia. It means through. All right? The picture is that of a circle. And it starts on the outside of the circle. It goes into the circle and through the middle of the circle and out the other side. It goes through it. Now, what's that got to do with anything that I'm sharing with you today? That's the word Luke chose to describe the actions of the shepherds. When they were resolved to go, they said, let us go through that city. What that meant was, really, more than just entering into it, they were intent to search. You ever go through the house looking for something? That's just not walking through a room, is it? You're tearing into every cabinet, you're pulling things out of drawers, you're looking under beds, because you're going to go through the house to find it. That's the word here. You see a resolve? They weren't just merely going to let us go find a stable and a baby in a manger, you know, and then we're good. It was a lot harder than that, I think. The resolve was to go and to go and to go through and through and through and through until they found that child. You may say, well, how hard would that have been? Bethlehem was not Hillsdale. All right? You could search here pretty quickly. It was a significant city in the Bible's day. It was called the City of David. It belonged to David's family, King David. He was from there. But um, at one point in Micah, they, they were kind of, uh, kind of saying it this way, like, oh, we're too little among everybody else. We're too little among the clans of Judah. We're, we're insignificant. And, and yet, this town was full when the shepherds were sent to go there. It was full, remember? The, the fact is, the homes are full. And the inns were full. And I would guess the stables were full too. We always pictured just one. As if there was only one stable in the whole town? I don't think so. Everybody who had animals and lived in that town would have had to have some sort of shelter for their animals. And it was probably not uncommon for all the homes to have a little stable on the back side of it. Some people picture it as caves, and, and I don't know if that was accurate. I've never been there, to tell the truth. But I know that city was full, because the folks had to come there to register for a tax. Remember? That's early part of Luke chapter 2. But they had come there, and there were lots of people who normally don't live there, but the city was swollen with people. So much so, remember, Joseph couldn't find room in the inn. There was no more place, there weren't many places to go. So how's a shepherd, or a handful of shepherds, supposed to find him? In a swollen city, full of people, where the inns are full, and the stables might have been too. 
What was their sign? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. <laughs> Go try to find that in a big city. They went through, and they went through, and they went through. And they were searching because they were resolved to find him. That was not the hindrance that it was so greatly full of people. What I like about this resolve is that it followed the most significant message ever given to mankind. Why God chose his shepherds? Well, maybe it was because they were simple folks. Or maybe it was that Jesus would wear that term later. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. He uses that phrase a lot. Or maybe they were known because they were gossips in their day. They told stories. They told the news. If you wanted to know what the news was, you didn't turn on Channel 5. You went out to the hills as the shepherds. What's new today? Because people passing by, they talk and talk and talk. And some people say they were pretty good at telling the news of the day. And maybe that was a good reason why the Lord would choose them. But I like most of all the fact they were responsive. They were responsive. In contrast to a Herod and to all his royal court and to all the spiritual advisors that were hovering around Jerusalem, none of them responded. The shepherds did. And if ever a resolve was to be celebrated, it would be well to note that this was in response to excellent news. Excellent news. Go back to Luke 2 to verse 10, 11, and 12 for a minute. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It's great news. Great news. It's got a sign. We saw that in verse number 12. Let's set that aside just for a minute and look at verse 11 because that is the essence of the good news. What is it? Today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior. A Savior. This isn't complicated. It's great news for everybody, right? All the people. Today is born a Savior. He was born for you. Isn't that what you read? He was born for you. The gospel message in a nutshell. It's not so complicated when you put it down in simple words. The reality is Jesus was given as a Savior. You know what that means? It means we must need one. It means we must... How do you prove that you need a Savior? You know, that's not hard for a pastor to do. How do you prove somebody needs a Savior? Implied in it, if we have a Savior, implied in it is we need a Savior. We need to be saved. And if that's true, then what's implied in that? We must be in trouble. We must have a problem that needs to be solved... And we can't do it ourselves. 
We need somebody else to do it for us. We need a Savior. Jesus was a Savior given for all the people. Which is a simple, also simple application in this. How many of us don't need a Savior? The whole world needs a Savior. We could solve a lot of problems in the newspaper today if people came to know Jesus as their Savior. But what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 makes it obvious we need a Savior. He says in Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none that does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongue keeps on deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of the path of peace they don't even know, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Is that not the headlines of our papers? Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may be accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. That's a potent little passage, isn't it? Do we need a Savior? Oh, yes, we do. But I'll tell you what, folks. That's bad, but it gets worse. It does get worse. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the price tag. I don't want to leave that out. Because... That lies simply the fact that you need a Savior because you have a problem. The wages of sin is death. And none of us are exempt from that. None of us are. The free gift of God, which I'm not going to leave that out either. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He who believes, John wrote, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you believe in the Son? You have eternal life. Isn't that worth praising Him for? Would you call that great news? Absolutely. But he who does not have the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That little word abides is is so strong. It's an ongoing verb. That Wrath of God abides right now on the unbeliever. It abides on him and it stays on him. Isn't that frightful? Oh, that's a terrible picture. The wrath of God abides on him. The one who does not know the Son, the one who does not obey the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's worse than that little cloud over the head that you see in cartoons. Somebody having a bad day, that little cloud there? This is God's wrath abiding on somebody. And it says in that same passage in John, chapter 3, this is the judgment. The light, we read about that a little bit ago, the light has come into the world. That's great. But men love darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. 
I've been studying Greek language for a long time, and I don't know of any other passage where the verb that we use for agape, our favorite word for love, right? Agapao is the Greek word. But we love that word. And this is the only time I've ever noticed it's used in a negative way. Men love the darkness. That's the strongest love they can give it. It's like, whoa, is it really that bad? Oh, yes. And everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Here it is. These shepherds here, there's a Savior born. And if they start it through, boy, do we need a Savior. And they went with resolve. To find him. They went searching. They went looking. If there is a savior. Then that means somebody needs saved. It's the announcement of the angels. That was given to them. You know what's even better? You say is there something better? Well in a way. There's something better about all this message about it. The announcement of a savior. Is the fact that the savior came for you. For you. If you read this and said he, he had come for somebody else, you'd say, well, there it is again. I'm always left out. You're the guy who, who, who puts your, your name on that little tag in the little, uh, you know, the, the, uh, can or whatever it is, you know, for a raffle or something. And, and you'd say, well, I'm, I'd like to win that. But you know what? How many years have you done that? And they've never pulled your number. So that's what some people think this is all about. That Well, some people can get saved, but not me. Not me. It's, it might be good for them. It might be good for them. Because Jesus must have been the Savior for them and them. But the scripture says, he's for who? For you. For everyone. He came for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. To you is born this day. You hear it? To you. It's not a message for somebody else out there. It's a message for those who are hearing it. You know, if these shepherds did not resolve to go, they would have never seen. And if they had never seen, they would have never talked about it. And if they had never talked about it, they would have never praised God for what he had done. But they went. They were resolved to search, to search, to search, to search. Because if they never went, they would have never found. There's a big difference, folks. It's real simple. There's a big difference between the phrase, a Savior and my Savior. Do you hear it? It's just one little, one little word in front of that word, Savior. Because I can spend the whole day and the rest of my life proclaiming to you, there is a Savior. It's Jesus Christ. He was born, as we celebrate at Christmas time, he came into this world, though they did not recognize him, though they did not acknowledge him, though they did not receive him. He came into this world, and he did die on a cross, didn't he? And he died for our sins, didn't he? And he was buried, and he rose again. Wonderful news. He was then, many days after that, ascended up into heaven. But he gives that offer and offer and offer and offer over and over again. Here's the great news. You can have a Savior. You can change one little word from a Savior to my Savior, can't you? 
And now it's personal. Now it's personal. There are times when it's hard to convince people of that. To convince them that they need a Savior. And God tells us so quickly, there's only one. There's only one to offer. Jesus Christ alone is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one. No one comes to the Father but through Him. Alone. That's it. There's one Savior. One Savior. But is He my Savior? Is He your Savior? I've told this story before. But some of you folks haven't been here before. So I'll share it with you too. Many years ago, there was a, a man who would come to our church mostly at holiday seasons. Or if his kids, his grandkids were involved in something in the school or such like that, he, he would visit his family. His, his son was an elder in our church. His children, wonderful children who loved the Lord dearly. And they so much wanted their grandfather to come to know Christ. For years and years and years, they witnessed to Grandpa. His name was Pops. We all called him Pops. When he came to church, he said, Hi, Pops, how are you? It was good to see Pops. He was a delightful man. He had fought in uh, World War II, I believe it was, uh, with some sort of a Scottish or group, I think. Or, he wore the kilt thing. You know, and so we talked about that a lot. It was fun to talk history with him. But he had grown up in a place where he didn't believe that Scripture was true. He didn't believe that uh, uh, Christ was who Scripture said he was to be. And, and, and so it was hard to talk to Pops. It was so hard to talk to him. And year after year, we would talk to him. He'd come to church. He'd come out and say, you know, that was a nice sermon. He didn't believe a word of it. And there was one year especially I recall, and the reason I'm holding this in my hand, is because uh, the family had Pops over. His wife had passed away. And uh, unfortunately, she never knew Christ as Savior. And that breaks my heart. But uh, Pops was over at the house. And um, they said, Pastor, would you come over and talk to Pops today? I said, oh, I'd love to. I love talking to Pops. And, and so I'd go over to the house, and I was there, and... His granddaughter was there too in the in the room, and she was listening as well. and And I started to talk about uh, the gift, the gift that God has given to us, uh, the gift of grace, freely given to us. And I I told him it's a wonderful gift, and it just happened to have been Christmas time. And I said it's a wonderful gift. And I was sitting next to the Christmas tree, and there were presents all around it. And I said, Pops, let me let me put it this way for you. If God gave you a gift of His Son, and in His Son you have eternal life, what is it that makes that gift yours? And he says, well, um, what if it's got my name on the tag? I said, well, okay, let's assume it does. It's got your name on the tag. It's for you. It says right there, Pops, this is for you. And I said, but when does it become yours? And he couldn't figure out what I was exactly asking. So I said, well, let me make it even simpler. This gift is laying under the tree. Pops, it's got your name on it. The gift just for you. 
But if you don't pick that up and take it, it's not yours. They could put the Christmas tree away and leave it still sitting on the floor. It still has your name on it, but you never took it. You never received it. And it could sit there all the way through Valentine's Day. And there's that gift still sitting there in the corner. It's got your name on it, but you never took it. And then it may go all the way past Easter. And there again, you look over in the corner. And there it still sits. That gift is still there with your name on it, but you never took it. You never received it. You don't even know what's in it. The 4th of July, there it sits. Come Labor Day, yeah, it's still there. Halloween, Thanksgiving Day, yeah. They come in the next year, they set up the tree. They put it right over that gift. It's still sitting there. Pops, when did it become yours? When you take it. God has offered you something wonderful. He's offered you His Son. Salvation through His name. A free gift of God's grace is given to you. It's got your name on it. When is it yours? He didn't take it that day either. I had just been pointed at a box, a Christmas box, underneath the tree. His granddaughter got a little more clever. And she went into her room and she got a box and she put a piece of paper inside it and she wrapped it all up and she put his name on it. And she came out and handed it to him. We'll be okay. I love this story. She said, when you're ready, granddad, open the box. A couple months later, he was in a terrible accident. The guy who was driving the car died on impact. He was a passenger in the car. It broke a lot of bones in his body. His legs, his arms, his ribs. He was, I mean, he was just crushed by that car. He was alive. They put him in a hospital. They had to put him in a coma. And boy, did we pray. We knew that if, if Pops did not make it, he would not see Christ. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Several weeks later, he opened his eyes. He said, where's the box? His first words. He came to know Christ as his Savior. You're going to meet Pops someday. Because suddenly, it wasn't a Savior, it was my Savior. And I bring that before you, and I just set this box here. And I want you to think about this. If that's God's grace, if that's His gift of a Savior, and it's got your name on it right now, when is He yours? Are you going to receive a gift today? Because we need a Savior. That's what the shepherds were resolved to go and see. And I'm just going to ask about your resolve today. What kind of response comes with a message like that? When is it time for us to say, I want to see it. I want to go. I want to receive it.
I want a Savior. I want my Savior. Today, that's your option. It sits right in front of you. You can receive Christ as your Savior. Now, there's a lot more in that story. There's a whole lot more in that story, what God has done. And I give him all the credit, because if it wasn't for him, I'd never have known the Savior. But today, if he's pulling on your heart, respond, would you? Respond. Because I want those little words changed in front of the word Savior. I don't want it just to read, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. I want you to be able to put the word mine in front of it, please. That's the pastor's heart this morning, dumping out to you. Do you have a resolve to know that this Savior is yours? He's yours. Heavenly Father, you know everybody in this room. You know their relationship with you. Whether or not the word my fits in front of the word Savior with each and every single heart here today. But Lord, if there is anyone here today that you're pulling toward yourself, for nobody can come unless you do that. If you're working on anybody's heart right now to draw them to yourself that they may claim Jesus Christ as my Savior, please do that work in our midst. Change a life forever, we ask, Lord, because that's your power to do it. That's your joy to do it. And that's the great news of this message. We didn't write it. We didn't manufacture anything with it. It's just your good news. And we proclaim it today and pray, Lord, that you bring forth fruit. Please, Lord, if there's somebody here today, draw them to yourself. Even right where they're sitting, they can call out to you. They can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. They could change that little word from a Savior to my Savior right now as they talk to you. Lord, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for what you've done for us. That you would come into this world that hated you. That treated you so terribly. That condemned you and crucified you. And yet you did that all out of love because you're our Savior. And you needed to give your life so that we can have life through you. You paid our penalty. And we did not deserve that. But we're so glad you did. Today we rejoice in that. We have great news, great news to tell, great news to celebrate. So, Lord, please, work in our midst, each of us, whether we know Christ as Savior or not, each of us, that we would rejoice in this season, we pray, because of a Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen.